You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for July 31st, 2022, the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Dr. Justin Crisp. It's based on Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. So I was quite taken this weekend with the first page of the review section of the Weekend Wall Street Journal. I know that nobody, except perhaps those who are joining us online, can see this very well, but there's an article on the, in the review section called How Previous Generations Handled Inflation Crises. And there's a, this, this uh, right here on the front page of the review section, there's an icon, I think, of our moment, as well as an icon of some previous moments. You know, you got Richard Nixon here, and this is the former Fed Chair Paul Volcker, but there, here's a, a woman who's holding a pad. Maybe it's a shopping list, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a, her, the, the, you know, a balance sheet of some kind or a budget, and she's got her head in her hands like this, and her eyes look like they're about to pop out of her sockets as though she's going, oh my gosh, okay? This woman, you gotta find a copy of this paper, okay? I'll try to bring it with me at the back so you can take a look at this woman. I saw this picture and I said, oh, that's how I feel. (laughs) That's how I feel, and I bet you do too, right? So the economy is in a crazy place. Whether this counts as a recession or it doesn't count as a recession, whatever, whatever you think the root causes of it are, whoever it is or whatever it is that you blame, the economy is in a crazy place. And I think we have all, over the last couple of months, and we will continue to, I'm sorry to say, feel like this woman on the front page of the review section of this weekend's Wall Street Journal. This is a sermon about how we can feel like this a little less, because that's what our parable this morning is about. So I initially came to our gospel lesson this morning with some frustration. I've always hated this parable because I thought it was an example of how Jesus, dying at the age of 33, didn't have to live real life. Okay, now wait a minute. What a statement. Well, I hope I get to, don't get struck down by lightning by our Lord. He certainly lived real life, right? Because he, lived a, he died an incredibly violent death at the age of 33. But what I mean is that Jesus never had to worry about some things. Jesus didn't have to worry about saving enough for retirement. Jesus never had to worry about health insurance. Jesus never had to worry about how big his 401k was, about whether or or not he was putting enough money in his Roth IRA so that he would have enough when he was 80 because the man died at 33. And then he proceeds to give financial advice. And if you listen to today's parable with those ears, it sounds an awful lot like he says, well, just don't don't go to Charles Schwab. Don't put any money in your IRA. Don't prepare for the future. That's what it sounds like. Sounds like he's saying, don't go see your financial planner. And I'm like, Jesus, you're full of it. But then I heard the story differently in conversation with Reverend Elizabeth this week on our podcast, Revved Up for Sunday. And I have to say, I think Jesus is a genius about money. Jesus is a genius. Because what Jesus does in this parable is he gets to the root psychological cause of greed. You can hear this parable in one of two ways. The first is you can imagine this rich man as a kind of great Gatsby, as a man of extravagant expenditure, somebody who has a lot and who loves stuff, loves stuff, loves spending. This is the guy who has 18 houses and who has nine Maseratis for each house. That's one way to hear and imagine the rich man in our parable. 
but I actually don't think that's who he is. The rich man in our parable is more like the Puritan of Max Weber's famous The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. The rich man is the man who has earned a lot and who has saved a lot. That's all he seems to do. Save, 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 save. Potentially that's all he's ever done for his entire life. The really crazy thing the rich man does in the story is he tears down his barns after he's had an incredible harvest. He tears down the barns and he builds bigger ones so that he can store the fruit of the harvest. Now, why, if he already had barns, why didn't he have any room for any goods? Why did he have to tear these things down? I think it stands to reason that his barns were already full. Okay, so the, the rich man already has places to store the harvest. It's just they're already full. And then he has another incredible harvest. And rather than give the surplus away, rather than share it, the rich man decides, I gotta save as much of this as I can. Because he still doesn't feel he has enough. He still doesn't feel he's safe. That's Jesus' genius in this story. The rich man is terrified. He's not the guy with 18 houses and nine Maseratis for each house. This is a man who is scared to death. And he doesn't feel like he has enough. That's why he does the crazy move of tearing down all the barns and building new ones. Somebody at the nine o'clock said, that sounds like a ridiculous thing to do. Because what did he do with the crops that were already stored in the barns after he tore them down, but before the new ones were built? And I'm like, well, the rich man is not exactly operating. He's not firing on all of his emotional or intellectual cylinders. He's under stress. He's in a mindset of scarcity, which has infected his mind and has kept him from thinking clearly. So he does this crazy thing. Tears down all of his barns and builds new ones. And he also talks to himself. I love to talk to myself, but this guy really talks to himself. That seems to be all that he does. He has this ludicrous conversation. He says, he will say to his soul, soul. And I'm pretty melodramatic, you can ask my wife, but I've never done that, right? I've never looked in the mirror and said, soul. <laughs> but that's what this man does, okay? So I will say to my soul, soul, you finally have enough in your IRA. Now you can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But the key word is relax. The rich man has finally felt as though he's put enough away, and so he can finally relax. And then guess what? He dies. That's what happens. He dies. Because Jesus knows, as put by the 16th century Carmelite nun, Teresa of Avila, there is no security in this life, period. Full stop. There is no security in this life. It's a very profound statement from a very profound spiritual thinker. There is no security in this life. That's it. Doesn't matter how many insurance policies you buy. Doesn't matter how much is in your IRA. It doesn't matter what your fortunes are, your circumstances are. I'm telling you, life can turn a 180 on you and it can do it on a dime. Your life can go off the rails in a thousand different ways. And I don't mean to scare you, but it could happen right here, right now, in the next moment. It could happen between me saying this right now and the Nicene Creed. Uh, it could happen as soon as you get in your car on your way home. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen to you. It could happen to me. When you're in the business that I'm in long enough, when you're a priest long enough, you just, you just get a sense because you just, you're a part of enough people's stories. There are a thousand different ways for your life to go wrong. The only thing in this life that is secure is God. 
And that's why Jesus says this is a story contrasting those who put their hearts in their possessions and those who are rich towards God. So what does it mean to be rich towards God? I think it means to trust God with your future, whatever that future is, period. It is to seek to content yourself with the will of God for you. It is to seek it, it is to pray for it, and it is to pray that you would be content with God's will, whatever it is. Now this is different than just being content with your current circumstances. So I think that the relationship between God's will and our circumstances is complicated. Not everything that is in your life is God's will. I just, I just don't believe that. I think that the world has fallen. The world is corrupted by sin and death. This is the truth of the creation stories in the book of Genesis. This world was created by God very good, but is no longer good all the way down. There is a kind of chaos which is at work in the world, foremost in human sin. And this chaos thwarts and impedes temporarily the will of God. It means that our current circumstances are not always the perfect realization of God's will. It means they need to be transformed by God. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection, the Lord has defeated this chaos, has won the victory over sin and death, definitively, always, and forever. And that his victory is eventually going to ripple through all of creation, but it has not done so entirely yet. So, when you go home and you take a look at your checking account, and you take a look at your IRA or your 401k. I do not advise that you do so right now because some of you might have a heart attack, okay? But when you go home and you look at it, I'm not telling you that the number on that screen is God's will for your life. Only you can answer that question. When we're trying to discern if our lives are in alignment with God's will, the only way to do so is in prayer. It has to be sweated out in prayer. We have to ask God, to implore God, to reveal to us, is this your will for me or not? Does this feel right to you or not? So I'm not saying that the numbers that you're going to see on your screen this week or next month or next year are God's will for your life. But I suspect that for a great many of us, they are. And they are enough. Even though we feel tempted because Inside, we're screaming like the woman on the front page of the review section of the journal this weekend. Screaming, oh my gosh. And thinking like the rich man, we've got to burn down the barns we built and build bigger ones so that we can put more away, so that we can finally feel safe. I bet that for very many of us, we actually do have enough. And we are actually living in alignment with God's will. And God's will for us is good and perfect. Even if we want more, even if we could use more, even if we long to feel safer. I promise you, God's will is actually better than what we can ask or imagine. I've got a life hack for you, that if you do discern in prayer this week, this month, this year, that your financial situation is actually enough. You're good, you're okay. I've got a life hack to help you get that 
mental knowledge into your heart. So I read another article this weekend. I think it was in the New York Times, but I can't, I can't remember. It was a psychologist talking about how she's advising her patients during the inflation crisis. And she says, I give them counterintuitive advice. At a moment when, the psychologist said, our budgets are under more and more pressure, when we have less and less and less expendable income because our dollars simply don't go as far as they did, uh, I give them counterintuitive advice. I tell them, give some of your money away. Give it away. And she says, here's why I do it. Because when you give something away, you have to tell yourself, I have enough to give this away. And you can hack your mind, your soul, by jumping to the action at the end of that sentence. You could jump to the action of giving it away, and in the process, you begin to tell yourself, okay, actually, I have enough to give this away. I actually did this in the last week, and I have to say, it worked. She says, I say, you don't have to give a lot, okay? It could be very little, but you just have to give something. You can give it to a charity, you can give it to uh, an arts organization you really love or admire, you can give it to, you can give a gift to somebody. You can take somebody out for dinner and you can pick up the check. You can, um, you can do as somebody did for, for Jewel, my wife and me, when we were in Oklahoma City last week, um, celebrating the retirement of her, uh, her academic advisor. Uh, we, we, we had somebody who was ahead of us in the drive-thru at Starbucks. And we pulled up to the drive-thru window and the barista said, the person in front of you paid for your coffee. Then I was like, huh, okay, well can we pay for the people behind us? And then I don't know where that ended, right? You can buy the person behind you in line at the Starbucks down here when you're talking to, uh, talking to Jed down here at the New Canaan Starbucks. You can, you can tell Jed, I wanna buy these people's coffee back here. Just do something, just give a little bit away. Psychologically, what that does is it takes you out of the mindset of scarcity. It tells you I've got enough to give something away, and that's good. Spiritually, here's what I would say. So that's the psychological bit, that's why it works. That's why this therapist says it works. Spiritually, let me tell you what's going on. You are aligning yourself with the will of God. You're aligning yourself with who God really is. You're aligning yourself with the will of God because God's will is that we would all look and act like him. We're made in the image of God. And we're made to flourish and be happy and be joyful when we are most like God. And God, to quote Teresa of Avila one more time, is one who desires nothing but to have those to whom to give. Teresa's idea is that God created the world so that God would have something to give stuff to, <laughs> so that God would have something to bless. And humans are most human when we are giving to each other, when we are blessing each other. So you can, there's your life hack, psychological and spiritual. Just give something away. Folks, I have no idea what the economy is gonna do, but I think we're in for a, I think we're in for a, a while longer of a wild ride. And I think that the secret to contentment, happiness, joy, and peace in our financial lives 
is the same as it is in any other part of our lives in an uncertain, unsafe, and difficult world. It is to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.